0: family. Grace and joy to you. Uh, Miss Wilson and I are Wheaties. We are looking to be adopted. So please see me, man. We we are easy to love. How about that? Easy to love. It's good to see you. I missed you on last week. We had the privilege of taking our Wheaton College Gospel Choir to a uh, church that has a um, Kind of a Sunday, Wheaton Sunday service. So I had to go and be a part of that. But it's so good to be home again. Just let me look at you guys. It's good to see you. Such beautiful faces. I feel like preaching today, continuing in our series. Are you glad to be here? Won't you high-five your neighbor and tell them, let's do this. Let's do this. All right. Yes. We are in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter six, and it is a good sermon for today. I'm a little biased because I wrote it, I think, but uh, it's a good word. Can I pray for us today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our family. Thank you for giving us the privilege to gather once again in the place of worship, to sing songs of praise unto you, to pray one for another, for our families, for our country, and for the work of your spirit in the earth. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in RCC. We thank you for the privilege to be called family. And we thank you for the special grace that rests upon this assembly. Now, as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word, would you open our eyes, open our ears, that we may hear what your spirit has to say, To the church. We ask that you would be with our pastor, give him preaching power and preaching permission that preaching may be done. For Jesus, we would see you be glorified today. In your name we pray. Amen. In Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 verses 6 through 10, a very familiar passage of scripture uh, The text will be on the screen for you behind me. But it reads as thus. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees, they watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath. They watched him that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. And so he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole. As the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. The man with a withered hand. Family, when we come back to our study in this series today, all eyes are on the Master. Some are there looking with awe and amazement. Some are there because they've heard the rumors that this is the Savior of Israel. Some are there with eyes of desire because they need to be made whole themselves, and they too need a miracle. Sister Stella, some are there with eyes of hunger because they've never heard a man preach like this. And some are there with hearts that are filled with anger, murder, hatred, jealousy, and just pure evil because they despise the one that everybody loves. But no matter who they are or what their reason is that day for being in the synagogue, Jesus is in the house. And that makes this text today essential for you and I to study. Because it teaches us, or rather I believe, we can learn from our master's example of how to handle things when all eyes are on you. So there's three points for our lesson today. Number one, we want to look at the man with a withered hand. Number two, we want to look at the men with withered hearts. And then I'll land the plane talking about the master with willing hands. Amen? Shall we begin? Hallelujah. Verse number six, point number one, the man with the withered hand. Now it happened. I like that right there. That it was on another Sabbath day also that he entered the synagogue And here it is, family, and he taught. And there was a man who was there with a right hand who was withered. When we come to this particular text, family, we see what I call is an amazing case study in the synagogue. There's a brother there who has a withered hand. And this this condition that he has is like no other. His hand had literally shriveled up. The blood vessels had dried. There's no muscle structure or blood running through the veins. His arm is dead. And the text suggests that this was not a birth defect, but rather the result of an accident Or some type of disease. Now there's physicians in the house. uh, Unless I be uh, accused of malpractice. I don't want to misdiagnose him. But he's got a problem. And as a result of the man's condition. Life for him in that ancient day. Would have been difficult. What do you mean pastor? This man would not have been able to do. What other ordinary men were able to do. They did not have the services or the programs that you and I know of today in our community to help people who had uh, fallen victim to such a chronic condition. No, as a result, this man would have been seen as less than a man. Back then, if a man didn't work, a man didn't eat, which meant that this disease probably would have caused him to have to result to becoming. A beggar. What a powerful picture this is. This man has this condition. This man has been reduced to this status and this place in life. But yet this man finds himself on the Lord's day standing in the presence of the one who can make all things right. He's standing in the presence of the one who created him. Jesus. Jesus the visible image of the invisible God. He's standing in the presence of the one, Sister Wilson, who knitted him inside of his mother's womb. He's standing in the presence of the one who knows him and who has a wonderful plan for his life. And can I say today, what a powerful position to be in when your life has become shriveled up. To be in the presence of the one who sees you who knows you, and is the only one who can do something about your position. Can I get an amen right there? See, as a withered man, he had withered dreams, withered hopes, withered aspirations, withered ideas, withered desires. He had no activity, no joy, and no way to change himself. So the place that he is in, in the presence of Jesus, is the best place to be in. Let me come off my script for just a moment and talk to you. Listen, if your life is withered this morning, if there's some area that you're struggling with in your heart, the best place for you to be is right here in this place today, in the presence of the living God. Can I get an amen right there? Why? Because only God can fix those problems that medicine cannot. Only God can fix those problems that social services cannot. Only God can fix those problems and conditions that no other system or device or gifts or whatever in the world cannot fix. Jesus is still the answer. Oh, that felt good for the world today. Hmm, I like that. Can I say some more? Listen to this. This brother has this horrible condition, but he's in the right place because the master is there. But he's not there because he can be. He's there, right, because he's not supposed to be. See, if you had a physical deformity as a part of your anatomy in those days, you were not allowed to come into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and seek healing. He's not there because he's been brought by a friend to be on display. He's there because the religious people have set him up. They brought him into the service on that day so they could accuse Jesus of doing something wrong. See, if you had a deformity, you had to be in the outside of the temple courts. So when he's there, he's there alone. He's there without any support. He's there because people with power don't care about him, but they want to use him that they might accuse Jesus. Can I ask the question today? Have you ever been in a room full of people but felt like you all alone? Have you ever been in that awkward place where people see you, but they don't see you where my Gen Z at? Have you ever been there, Beloved? Will you feel like nobody understands the trouble in your heart? Nobody understands why you are withered, why you're struggling with what you're struggling with. Well, I'll stop by to tell you today, if you're here today in the crowd and you feel like that, oh, beloved, don't feel that way because Jesus is present and he sees you and he cares. We've looked at the man with the withered hand. Let's look now at the men with withered hearts. The Bible says in verse number seven, so the scribes, these were those who studied the scriptures and interpreted them, and the Pharisees, these were the religious leaders or rulers of that day. Watch what the text says. They watched him closely. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Why did they do that, Pastor? That they might find accusation against him. What a powerful verse. When you come to this second verse in our lesson today, we get to see something, uh, Brother Stephen, that I call quite alarming. See, these religious leaders who have been following Jesus now, have gathered again on the Sabbath. However, here we see something profound. They brought into the temple, as I mentioned, a man with this physical problem, and they're using him as a prompt to see if Jesus would heal him. The Bible says they watched him closely. In the original language, in the Greek language here, the text is implying that they kept on watching him. In other words, they were playing the spy. They set this man up so they could catch Jesus doing something that was against their laws. Why? They wanted to accuse Jesus of a crime so they could have him arrested and treated badly within the judicial system. They were watching Jesus Because they had, Brother Norm, what I call his withered hearts. I believe they got this way because Jesus would not conform to their religious standards. Uh, Let me say it this way. Gen Z, they hated him because he loved sinners and tax collectors. Remember last time we were here, we talked about Levi, the tax collector, and the party he went to? They hated Jesus because he hung out with poor fishermen, underclass people. They hated him because he was well-versed in the scriptures. They hated him because he ate food on the Sabbath day in the fields With his disciples. They hated him because he was not like them. He saw the kingdom of heaven in ways that they could never see. They hated that Jesus had a following that was growing. And everywhere he went, people were calling him the Messiah. These men had withered hearts. Their hearts were dead. Their hearts were not alive to the things of God. They had withered hearts in that they rejected God's son. So they set a trap to catch him doing good to humanity. Here it is, family. Only a withered heart behaves like this toward God. Only a withered heart would do such a thing like this. Only a withered heart would reject the Lord's work in the hearts and minds of God's people. The text says they watched him closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. Why? That they might accuse him. Powerful. The story is told of a lawyer whose name was Effie Smith. And lawyer Smith was said to be very savvy in the courtroom and smart. And one day, he was cross-examining a young man who had a lawsuit against the city for an accident that occurred to him on the bus. And as the young man was on the witness stand, Lawyer Smith said, "Uh, Mr. Young Man, um, thank you for being here today. I just got a couple questions for you. Uh, Would you tell me how high you're able to lift your arm now as a result of the accident and the young man... Raised his hand about so high and struggled. And he said, thank you, young man. I appreciate it. Sorry for the pain. Can you tell me how high you could lift it before the accident? And the man went like that. (laughs) And guess what? The young man lost the case. Effie Smith was savvy enough to know that when the heart is evil and corrupt, if you just watch, you can catch what you're looking for. Well, this is where the Pharisees and the scribes were. They thought they could catch Jesus in doing something wrong and catch him by breaking the law of doing work on the Sabbath. But the problem was their hearts were so withered, they failed to see that they needed a savior. They needed somebody to rescue them even from their own laws. What a tragedy! What a tragedy to be those who would accuse God of doing great work, accuse God of healing people, accuse God of something miraculous happening in their presence. You know, this week was a, I'm off my notes here. You can see me backing away. This week was an amazing week for me as a college chaplain in North America at a Christian university. You've heard, some of you have heard the rumors and the marvelous things that God was doing at another seminary called Asbury Theological Seminary. And all of a sudden, these amazing worship services started breaking out all over the country. College students everywhere crying out to God, praying, seeking, putting their bottles down, their weed down, their issues down. You would think that people will start clapping and rejoicing because this generation is hungry for God. But you know what I found? I found Pharisees and scribes questioning what God was doing in the life of students across the country. I said, my, 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 would you look at this? You mean you'd rather them keep drinking? You'd rather them be at fraternity parties? You'd rather them carry all the issues they've been carrying instead of go to the prayer meeting? What a tragedy. To see God working in the life of the community and to question it because you don't think it's authentic. Well, whether it's authentic or not, they're not at the club. Whether it's authentic or not, they're not throwing parties Or driving down the street drunk. They're in prayer seven nights a week. Come on, talk to me, somebody. We've looked at the man with the withered hand. We've looked at men with withered hearts because of unbelief. Can I show you now the Messiah with a willing hand? The Bible says in verse 8 that Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I want to ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy family when we come to this portion of the text you and I get to see first of all Jesus is able to examine the thoughts of those who are in that synagogue on that day they never said a word but he knew their thoughts the Bible was clear that he was able to catch their thinking, in the process of it taking place. He saw them in worship. He saw them in service. He saw them in their positions of leadership in the synagogue. And while he saw them, he also saw what was on their minds as worship leaders. I need to remind somebody today, watch your thoughts. God sees everything. I need an amen right there. And while he saw them, yes, he was literally reading their minds. Did you know it's possible to be in church and have your mind on stuff that does not honor God? Did you know it's possible to be in the house of God, but not be on the Lord's side? Did you know, RCC, it's possible to act like you love the Lord, but really be the Lord's enemy? Secondly, not only does the Lord see what's on their mind, but the Lord sees the man. The one they've used as a decoy. The one they've placed in a divine trap. And while he's seeing them, the Bible says, I like this part right here, that he called out to the man after he asked him the question. Did you see that there? Why does he do that? Well, he's getting ready to engage in meeting." the needs of this brother with a withered hand. Jesus says to him, Arise and stand right here. And the Bible says a man arose and he came. He obeyed the words of the Christ. You know what I noticed about this? And I'm almost through here. This was what I call a divine and clarion call. The call of God. For the man to come and stand before his creator. That's good right there. See, one day, all of mankind are going to get this call. Everybody from the White House to the crack house, who is alive now or who lives in history past, is going to have to rise and stand before the one who made them. There's a clarion call coming, family. This man gets his on that day, and he stands in all of his shriveledness before the one who made him, and Jesus examines the man. Look, this call, this call, it's not a call of judgment, though, like the one that is to come. This is a call of compassion. Jesus calls him to come forward, to step out, From the shadows of his shame. This call was to leave for him rather to leave behind his past and prepare for what God was getting ready to do. This call was a call to submit to Christ and receive the newness of life. Beloved, Jesus was getting ready to call out the Pharisees and the man at the same time. Remember, he asked the question, is it lawful? To heal a man on the Sabbath? Since y'all don't have an answer, I'm going to show you. Come here. Stand in front of me. I like this right here. God was calling. God was summoning him to respond to the divine call from up above. But first, there's going to have to be a confrontation. (laughs) Did you catch that? God would first oppose all of his enemies. As all eyes are on Jesus, he's now going to expose the will of God. Before all men. He was going to expose. Their wicked hearts. Jesus said to them. I'm going to ask you one more thing. Is it lawful. On the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil. To save a life. Or to destroy a life. And here you find the master. Doing what I call as exposing the sin. That's in their hearts. And the question is asked because. They want to do evil on the Sabbath by accusing Jesus. Did you catch it? They want to do evil on the Sabbath. Jesus came to do good, to fulfill the Sabbath, and to change the life of this withered man. Well, all eyes were on him, and he's about to dispose the desires of the weak. And grant him another chance in life. I like this. I love me some Jesus. I'm guilty. I'm so guilty. I love Jesus and I'm unapologetic about it. I'm on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how he operates, how he moves, and how he speaks and how he delivers. According to the text, the Bible says they don't answer him, they refuse to answer because their hearts are bent doing evil and I wrote myself a note here family every now and then in the ministry here's what I've learned 32 years of pastoring churches and and leading and serving in universities you run across people who are just like these Pharisees no matter what God says their hearts are bent on doing evil Uh, uh, that's no place for an amen I'm just talking about what I'm talking about But I've learned that no matter who the preacher is, their hearts are hard and they're bent toward hurting others, shaming others, disobeying the word of God and rejecting all that God has to say. I don't want you to get discouraged, RCC. Don't get discouraged because that's just people. That's what they do. Well, look at the text with me. The Bible says in verse 10 that when Jesus had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Oh, that's beautiful right there. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Well, family, I learned in this verse that it was after the Lord had observed the situation and his eyes roamed the sanctuary, that then he said in his creator voice, stretch out your hand. ekteno is the Greek word. And it literally means extended. Now this is powerful because he had never been able to extend it in his own strength. It's only at the voice of the creator, the one who made the hand. That he's able to respond now with a supernatural power. Here it is. It's written in the imperfect tense, which means it's written in the command, right? He commanded him, stretch out your hand. And the body has to respond when God speaks to it. This is good news right here. He stretched it out, and it was completely restored. Come on, help me, doctors. You, you. I don't want to miss... Uh, uh, quote the situation but i believe the muscles got reactivated i believe the joints in the arm came back alive the hundreds of tiny bones in the arm grew sinew again the fingers plugged themselves back into the sockets the man looked at his hand and his hand was new this was a miracle and it was a miracle done in the synagogue on the Sabbath, in the presence of the one who set up Jesus and dared him to do a miracle, and he did it. (laughs) I like that right there. Uh, Well, what's the good news? The good news is the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, if he can do that miracle on that day, he can have you stretch out your problem too today. God can heal you today. God can make you whole today. God can make your troubles go away today. The same God that delivered him can deliver you. God can change your situation today, beloved. He can fix the thing that's causing you trouble and grief. God can strengthen your hand today and make you a brand new creature. Well, I'm through preaching now. Thank you. I'm coming down. But I want to leave you with what the last verse of this text says. There's a but there. Isn't that sad? You know what but is? It's a conjunction. We used to learn our, uh, our English in the ghetto I was from when we were little. There were some cartoons they used to play on Saturday morning. I don't know if you remember that. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Working on cars and making them fun. Y'all remember that? And then he used to talk about, and, but, Nora, we'll get you pretty far. (laughs) That's how I learned English. The but is here because it's changing directions of the sentence. He just healed this man, but. Isn't that sad that there's a but after the work of God? Oh, my goodness. Okay, let me go back to my story about revival happening in North America in colleges. Should there be a but after a revival? When young people are crying out for God all over the country, shouldn't we be saying, but? Yeah, I see this, but. Why do we do that? Why do we feel the unction to critique what God is doing? First of all, who gives you the authority to critique what God is doing? There should be a crying out on our our behalf, a prostrating of our hearts and our soul, saying, oh God, not just on Christian campuses. What about the secular campuses? When there's so many mass school shootings, there's so many young people dying at the hands of fentanyl, so many young people filling up our prison system. We would rather critique what God is doing in the life of young people who are crying out for him instead of crying out oh, God, use us to change the world. But they critique him. And the Bible says in verse 11, I'm sorry, this sermon has got a hold of me now. I'm sorry. But they were filled with rage. Rage. You know, rage is different from being mad. Rage is somebody throwing a fit. They were filled with rage. And they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. What a tragedy. How sad. This text makes me sad when I read this about the scribes and the Pharisees. They had an opportunity to experience God and what He was doing in their community, but their hearts were withered and they couldn't do it. Uh, It is true that everybody isn't always happy when the Lord moves in the lives of those who are broken. Everybody doesn't always rejoice over the great things that the Lord has done. The Bible said they were filled. That means that the cup had run over. There was no more room. They were so filled and consumed with it that they called meetings and began to discuss what they might do to Jesus. Here's what I learned. Because of his good works, they sought to kill him. Because of his love for humanity, they sought to kill him. Because of his divine leadership, they sought to stop the work of God in the earth. However, I do thank God today for the sin in their hearts. Can I tell you why? I'm grateful for their sin because it reintroduced me to mine. Huh. See, it was my sin that God had to die for. I can't poke fun or fingers at the Pharisees and the Sadducees because their sin is my sin. It was that same sin that Jesus came to die for. They might have plotted and planned how they might destroy him, but I remember the words of the Christ. He said, listen, Angelus, don't nobody take my life. I lay my life down. And if I lay it down, I'll take it up again. (laughs) Did you catch that? They were plotting, but they had no idea that God already had a plan. And the plan was that Jesus would become the Lamb of God to take away the sin of all mankind. Beloved, I know you look good today. You smell good. I'm glad to see you in the house of the Lord. But you got sin. And your sin. And my sin. Call for the Lamb of God to die for all sin. Didn't he die? In a moment, we're going to come to the table and we're going to remember the death of the Lamb who died for you. But he had to die. If he does not die, you and I do not get access back into a right relationship with God. That's why we can rejoice when we come to the table though they plotted to kill him, it was his plan to die, that you and I might be saved. Thank you. But he voluntarily went to his death. That these Pharisees, these scribes, and everybody on your row might have an opportunity to get to know the Father, to come back into a right relationship with him. I'm so glad he died, but I'm so glad death couldn't hold him Because the story is, like we read in the Apostles' Creed, he did go into a grave. But in the grave, the scriptures say he took the sting out of death and victory over the grave. And early Sunday morning, he rose back to life with all power and authority of heaven and earth in his hands. And right now, he sits at the right-hand throne of God, making intercession for you and I. What a beautiful story. The man had a withered hand, but Jesus came to restore and make all things new. You had a withered disposition, but Jesus is present to make all things new. And all God's people said, bow with me for a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for a very rich text this morning. Thank you that we are able to read your word And watch it become a bridge to our generation. We're able to read your word and understand it with clarity and apply it to our lives. We're able to read your word and hear you speak to us in such a divine way. And now we come as a family to come to the table and celebrate what you did for us just as you said you would do. Forgive us of our sins, for they are many. Thank you for healing that man. And thank you for being available to heal us too. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen. Thank you, Elder.